from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. You're listening to Behind the Message. Each week we take you behind what we teach here at Westside. I'm Ben Fleming. And I'm Evan Eerwicker. And it's good to have you back, Ben. I'm back. It's been a couple of weeks. Yeah, I missed two weeks, right? Gosh. Yeah. But Casey, you were there. You were I, there all along. You can't get rid of me, man. Consistent Casey. Still here. Casey is probably actually more consistent than us who are the hosts at this point. I'm so, always here. You can't get rid of me. By the way, you both during that intro were looking down and I was doing the best dance behind this no, microphone. No, I saw you. I saw you. Oh, you were just ignoring good. my moves? No, I wasn't. I was dancing with oh, you. Oh, they were my great down moves. moves. All right. At they the, were great moves. At the get, end, I did some kind of jazz hand thing to finish. I didn't see amazing. that. Amazing. I should have looked on. up for that. This past weekend, I preached a message. Message on repentance in the Psalms. It was great. And uh, yeah, it was a good weekend, really good. And a good topic. I think it really resonated with people. I know people that came up to me afterwards, uh, you can tell this really kind of strikes a chord, strikes mm-hmm. a nerve with where people are at, yeah. uh, feeling the need to turn to God right. uh, from whatever they're in, and needing, I think, sometimes that permission to be honest. Is this topic brought up often enough? I feel like well, I was listening to you preach this last week, and I was like, you know, how often do we actually even use that word? repentance because it, it seems like it's kind of become part of the context of the guy with the megaphone on the corner you know outside the football game it's telling everybody to repent you know the yeah. end is near kind of a thing we we hardly use or am i wrong i feel like we hardly use the word anymore in the church setting i think it's kind of a big word but you know i think people it, it kind of has it obviously has deeper implications than just saying like i'm sorry or you know you i apologize but it is repentance isn't a word that we use a lot just in our common lives mm-hmm. for sure uh but be, or evan it seems like you got some great responses from people like i was just even watching on facebook people are just really impacted that's awesome um by the the analogies and the stories and the words you shared um i think it's such a felt need because um so many of us and we've all felt the weight of our own sin or our own mistakes and uh to me that the message speaks to this um kind of weight being lifted like it's a really neat uh, felt need for me and I know so many people is like when you mess up you can um, not have this pointed finger at you but you can actually um, put that weight on God and say Lord forgive me right. and then turn and live live a life that's lighter and freer mm-hmm. um, and so I just think it's a powerful message. Well, and I, I think that side of it comes out in other topics that we talk about whether it be salvation or God's grace or his mercy but sometimes repentance stays in this corner of uh, it's that moment when you feel the worst about who you are and what you've done, which is part of it. Mm-hmm. But I think really understanding, um, as I said in my message, this is the moment, repentance is the moment when you're on the edge of joy. You know, This is the moment right before you become unburdened and, and that stuff falls off and there's great peace and great joy. And so I think bringing that into light of repentance uh, mm-hmm. was an eye-opener for a lot of people that came up to me, at least. I'm, one gentleman came up um, and kind of, you know, clearly moved by the message, and and he just, right there in the front of the, of the room, he said, it's just, um, you. I heard you talk, and it was like it was for F-ups like me, and he said, <laughs> he said the word. I won't say it on the podcast, <laughs> but he just said it, and, and I thought, you know, so often I think we build church to be this thing that is sanitized and not life-changing. Right. And not just us, but I think we get there 
when really that is the opposite of that. I mm-hmm. mean, we want we want real life a little bit grittier, but it actually experiences life change. And I think right. that was what this weekend was about. And with about. repentance, I think it brings up uh, the difficulty of it is repentance is very much the start of a journey for a lot of people. You you brought up the prodigal son, and I think repentance in that moment, especially in a church service where we want to say, "Look, I'm I'm repenting, God. I'm talking to you, God. I'm on my knees, or I'm crying, or whatever." All those things are important, and that moment is incredibly important. But just like with the prodigal son. He didn't just visualize or have the idea of repentance or, man, I really feel bad about everything that I've done. He actually had to get up out of the pig slop from where he was working. He had to go to dad. It required a moving of the feet, so to speak, and not just a moving of the heart. And that was the big part for me in understanding repentance, you know, with, with a lot of the things that I've struggled with in my life was I would, I would regularly have these church type moments and then not actually move the chess pieces in my own life to, to reconfigure things. I wouldn't throw things out of my life or bring additional things in. And that's a huge part of the repentance piece. If, if you were there at the, at the service this last weekend and you're thinking, man, I really want to start this journey. I want to encourage you in that. Cause I think that's a big piece of the puzzle when it comes to repentance is actually putting feet to these thoughts that we're having. Yeah, I think of uh, Henry Cloud, a psychologist. He uh, said this thing about work. I think it was working out, but he was talking about um, essentially a concept in his own life. But if you don't have the strength to do something on your own, then put in add an outside mechanism to help you. So if you don't have the strength to work out on your own, he was kind of using this as an example, then get a gym membership or get a trainer and they'll help you. So in the same way, like if you've stepped into repentance this weekend or turning from your sin and you want to continue to walk in that freedom that God has given you because he's given us this beautiful gift, then get some people around you, like open up your life to them, share, like uh, confess your sins, be healed um, and find freedom in that. And you can continually walk in repentance every day. And Mm. like Evan said, feel that joy continually in your life. So... Yeah, and it's it's this process of repentance is um, something that that God partners with us in a way. Uh, it's not it's not the Father coming to the pig slop <laughs> and finding us there, right. but it's also not us restoring ourselves. And so I think it's so uh, such a beautiful thing when we realize when we turn, then we are met by mm-hmm. the the restoration of God in this really beautiful thing called you know redemption and restoration and yeah. all these things. Uh, but it's not one or the other. It's not us just doing better mm-hmm. and trying harder. Mm-hmm. And it's not um, us just saying, it doesn't matter what I do, God will have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's this it's this beautiful connection when we turn towards God and we find that he's already turned towards us. And that's a good theological kind of point. I think a lot of times, at least, you know, I spend a lot of time with young people, there's this feeling of... Um, and, and it's so true, and it's a tough thing to talk about and, and preach about it to some degree because God is right there with you, and he's never left you or forsaken you. He is right there. And sometimes, at least for me, encouraging people to go out and say, look, you gotta, you got to do some of this. Like, let's go out and, again, put feet to this whole idea. It can be a difficult theological kind of minefield to, to go around because you're right. You don't want to get caught up in well, I just got to do better and try harder and pray harder and then everything's going to work out. But at the same time, you know, you, you don't just roll over and then just kind of wait for it. You're right. The, the father didn't run to the pig slop. There was this, the father was absolutely ready when the, when the prodigal son ran to him. What do you think about the prodigal son's motivation, Evan? Because he, you know, it says he was hungry. Um, like, what do you think about his, his motivation in going back? It, it, because it wasn't even like I'm. To- I totally feel guilty about right. everything that I've done. It was like I'm. 
my, my, my father's slaves get treated better than this mm-hmm. and I want to eat kind of thing. I don't know. What do you think about his motivation? Was it like a pure was, motivation basically? Yeah. Like, Cause I, you know, and this is behind the message, right? So like yeah. when I think about uh, people's motivation, then I th- it makes me think about the grace of God. It makes me think about the father's heart because he wasn't even like, Oh, he just wants food. Like who, like if you, we were all sitting around analyzing the situation, we'd be like, Oh, the kid just wants food. Like he might even go back next week and like, you know, squander it again. Mm-hmm. Right. The potential for that. But the father's heart is this beautiful picture of like, uh, it says, I mean, I, I heard a theologian when I was studying this one time say that the father had to like lift up his robes, like gird up his skirt, so to speak, mm-hmm. and undignify himself to run to the sun. Right. And that would have been, did you talk about that this weekend? I yeah. You just, had that well, concept. Jesus is telling this to a Jewish community that would find it absurd, like you're saying. Right for a, a respectable Jewish man to run at all in public. I mean, because right. that's, a, that's, I mean, kids run. Old men walk slowly because yeah. they are important. So you it's know, that. 35-year-olds like me walk slowly as well. So <laughs> yeah, I true. understand that. You're important, You Casey. feel, feel You're very really injured. Important. Now it's just generally I'm just so, so tired. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a- adding to the indignity is the fact that he's running towards a son who has ruined the family name. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and that's, I think, missed on modern audiences. But to his audience, they would be, I think, I think so siding with the thought of that son deserves punishment, mm-hmm. not acceptance, you know? Right. And so I think to me that motivation, I mean, even if you're sitting there and like your motive, like our motivations often aren't totally pure. You know, you think of the person who's like, I want to give, uh, you know, money to people that are starving in Africa or something like that. Just an example. But they're like, I also want to feel good. It's yeah. not just a pure motivation. So I think yeah. that, yeah, the grace of God is Wasn't that an that episode motivation. of Friends? You guys ever see that? <laughs> no. I don't yeah. remember. Yeah, I think it was an episode of Friends where they talk about this idea that there is no good deed that is truly unselfish. That's right. Because you get something out of it. And I'm sure it's more than just an episode of Friends. I'm sure that's a big philosophical discussion that well, happens all the time. And I think a theological one, can we truly love God unselfishly? I'm not convinced we can. Um, I think... I think that's what makes our uh, expression of love towards God always inferior to his expression towards us. Mm -hmm. He needs nothing from us, yet he loves us. We need everything from him. And so when we love him, is it really selfless? Uh, I don't don't know how you can approach God um, with nothing, needing everything from him, and do it in a selfless way. Right. Really. Right. And maybe... You so know. it, it kind of, to bring it back to the prodigal son idea, so maybe maybe the picture that we're trying to paint here is, would the son have even run back to reconcile with the father if the father had no food in his house? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And I don't think he would based on right. the reason <laughs> He was hungry. And maybe that's okay. And that's what I think is people miss is uh, God's acceptance probably goes beyond, again, us being in the perfect zone to offer our return to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, the son was a mess. Like, he his mind wouldn't have changed and he wasn't coming back this whole complete fixed son he was a mess yeah mm. and that's when the the father goes to work in restoring him you know and so. i think that's the beautiful message of that story the prodigal story is the surprise that the son feels like i'm hungry i'm just going to go back and say i'll be a slave like that's my offer i just this would be better than what i've experienced but he's surprised by 
the countenance of the father, the response of the father, this yeah. extravagant. Mm-hmm. And I think for anyone out there who's just kind of uh, thinking about their own life or can I turn, is it even possible to turn from the things I'm in? Or, or you know, like a lot of times, I mean, sin is enticing or else it wouldn't, you know, people wouldn't sin. If it was just felt like sandpaper on your skin, you know, right. then you wouldn't do it. But sin has, you know, pleasure attached to it and has good feelings attached to it or whatever it might be. Um, you know, so in his, maybe his wrongful motivation, the beautiful thing about it is that he, he's surprised by the response yeah. of his father. It's an incredible response. Yeah. You know, something about teaching parables for me too, and I was just thinking about this, even as I was teaching it, uh, it's kind of funny, um, in that we, we preach sometimes parables as though they are, um, things that actually happened mm-hmm. when Jesus is telling an illustration that didn't actually happen. And so I'm kind of curious to hear you guys when you've taught out of parables, because we want to elaborate and say, this is probably what so-and-so was thinking. Well, there was no so-and-so. All we have is what Jesus was saying as a story, you know? (laughs) So sometimes I feel like there's this tension of like, I don't want to pretend like Jesus was saying a historical event that happened because it wasn't. Right. You know, does that make sense? Right. It was kind of an interesting thing because you're like, and then what the father was doing, well, the father wasn't doing anything because <laughs> this is a story that Jesus is making up on the spot, you know? This is the moment where Pastor Steve would say, that's why Star Wars or Lord of the Rings are so spiritual because they are story, like stories yeah. as well. And some people might argue with me on even this, like, no, that's a real universe and all this is happening. But, um, <laughs> but you know, George Lucas is a prophet. Yeah. I'm really close to arguing with you. I know that. you are. I know you are. So, but like, they're stories. And we compare them, and they have analogy to them, and they have metaphor to them, and you could apply those things to your life as well. Jesus is igniting people's imaginations, Mm -hmm. and I love that. I think he uses creativity in your imagination. I think God can speak to you through your imagination. For sure. So people are picturing... I mean, if you're like, picture the Father, how many of... Each one of us would picture the Father in a different way. Mm -hmm. Sure. You picture how the sun would look, or what the pig pen, the pig slop would look like, but... I do feel like God can speak to us through our creative imagination that he's given us. And in those pictures and that way that we formulate those thoughts, that's how he can speak directly to hearts too, is people building those pictures in their minds, which is cool. For sure. And I'm really... I'm really okay with that. I think when it comes yeah. to, to preachers and stuff, maybe even, uh, you know, there, there's lines that of, of course to not cross and all those things, but, um, I'm big on jumping into the imagination. And that was what drew me really into a, a close relationship with Jesus was, was being able to allow my imagination to run. I'm one of those preacher's kids that grew up on the Chronicles of Narnia and all that kind of stuff. And seeing God with those different lights and elaboration and all those kind of things is really, really important to me as long as it's still staying within uh, kind of the overall feel and understanding of who we understand God to be in the scripture. Yeah. And Jesus invited his listeners on those days to yeah. do the same. They're, yeah. Obviously, whenever he's talking in parable or metaphor, um, people are having to connect the dots to what he's actually talking about. And that's mm-hmm. the whole point of it. Um, and do you guys remember, not a great movie at all, uh, but The Invention of Lying with Ricky Gervais maybe oh, yeah. 10 years ago? <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't a good movie. But uh, in that movie, the world had not come across the concept of lying. And so instead of movies, they had readings where someone would read the driest history books you've ever heard. And they would film them sitting in a chair reading because they, they couldn't dramatize right. anything. Wow. They couldn't come up with anything that. that was fiction. Mm-hmm. It didn't exist in this world that the movie created. That's the only part of the movie that was interesting to me. But that thought of um, storytelling mm-hmm. isn't always literal. And I think some people get hung up when they think about the Bible. Well, it's all true. 
Yes, um, but when we look at parable, or we look at poetry in the Psalms, or we look at some of these pieces as um, literature, and this is, gets dicey, I mean, this is a big uh, right. point of debate, Yeah. but we have to understand how it was written in the moment, how Jesus was talking in the moment to understand, is is someone telling a literal, uh, historical retell of something that happened? Are they talking in parable? Are they talking in poetry? And when you put it into context, I think it gets much richer, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, less impact. Isn't that why humor and everything storytelling is really important, I think, in the modern church today when it comes to, to speakers, that we're not up there just kind of regurgitating scripture line for line, word for word, but we're using analogy, we're using storytelling, we're using, honestly, an element of, of entertainment. Does anybody yeah. else feel like Jesus kind of embraced the idea of being right. uh, an entertainer? Because totally. some, some people would <laughs> totally. not agree with you that entertainment is a good thing in the church. Right. A lot. They, yeah, there's a fair amount of people. I think it's I think Jesus embraced that. I think, don't you think he knew the attraction that he was? That he, you know, not that he was doing a magic show or anything like that, but I think he understood that when he stood on a boat near the shoreline, that there was going to be a crowd that was going to gather and that he told stories to engage with that audience to, to create a greater understanding of who he was. Yeah, I mean, just think about the pictures uh, that he talked about. You know, we're talking salt, light, bread you know, the, the way water, he, I mean, he brings so many things, a sower, right? Uh, this story, the prodigal son, so many other picture examples that he gives people. Um, it's fun. You'll probably experience this, Evan, like when, um, people talk to you about a message, a lot of times they'll bring up a story that you told even beyond like a scripture that you, you you know, I can't really remember the reference of the scripture, but I remember when you told that story about your daughter, Clara, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just service hosting a couple weeks ago, and I told the story about a waffle at a local coffee shop, and I had probably like 50 people talking to me about the waffle, and I'm like, but do you remember what I was saying about the waffle? Like, I was talking (laughs) about the way, essentially, you know the way to the waffle shop, like the way to God is through Jesus, and that's the point I was trying to make. Yeah. But they remember stories, that picture. You build a picture in your mind, right. and like that's how humans are wired as well. And God, and Jesus knows that. And so when you're ta- telling that story, he wants your synapses in your brain to fire. He knows how your brain and your mm-hmm. mind work. And so, when, and then I believe he, through his Holy Spirit, can um, speak to you through how your mind works. Yeah. And in some ways, we, in many ways, we need our mind to be renewed in the moment, but through picture, through story, I think it's a powerful way well, to Well, you said the word Holy Spirit, and I think that is the key, and that's what makes the ministry of Jesus so powerful, is that he is, um, obviously he's Jesus, but he is speaking with the authority of his own spirit, the Holy Spirit that is in him and on him, and if we miss that and become just entertainment, yeah, it's empty and it's hollow and, and there's no power, but when you combine story and rich, engaging um, communication with you know the presence of Jesus and the the power of His Holy Spirit and the the power of the gospel being spoken, that's when there's power. And I think I think we we got to do both. And I think good preachers do both. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know? sometimes, I mean, uh, I'm definitely one of these people that can be guilty of this. You can lean too heavily on one side, uh, and that is the storytelling and the laughing and the stupidity. <laughs> yeah, and we've all been in those messages where <laughs> yeah. you're 40 minutes into a message like, or oh, 25, and it's like he hasn't even gotten through his story yet. Like, <laughs> for sure. when is he going to start preaching? You know, yeah, for sure. But I don't, I don't, I, by no means, and you guys affirm this. Do I think it's offensive to have, have that be a part of the church? No, and I think it's a beautiful balance. You know, the best communicators learn how to weave a story and then hit a point. I mean, and read a scripture. There's just a great balance, and you feel the weight of that when you're sitting in the crowd. You did a great job this weekend. 
um, with that, Evan. And I love the idea too that Jesus is when people ask him a question, he responds with a question. You know, mm-hmm. often we we talk about this a lot, but it's like he doesn't always respond with a direct answer. And I think as Christians, we um, we don't have to make things so obviously cut and cut and dry. We need to let people like process and figure some of that out because they could regurgitate an answer, but if they feel it in their heart after a process, they're going to own it that much. So what what do you say to the person though, that would look at you and say, well, yeah, but that feels a little abstract for me. Like I need, can't you give me something to go out and, you know, cause I'm with you. I like the, I want to think through this for a while and spend my week doing that. And what do we say to the person that's like, I want something to do this week. Can you tell me, just just tell me what to do when I leave church? Yeah. And I think like those points are great and I'm not saying that there's no room for them, but I think guiding people through a process where they learn to think on their own is going to help them own their faith more than just regurgitating an answer. I think that's what the stories are. You know, Jesus saying these parables, these stories, they're for everybody. They, you know, it's for the the broader audience. Yeah. And then he pulls his disciples aside and gives them more direct responses. So the closer yeah. you get to Jesus, I think the more you kind of figure out what he's thinking in his And mind. I think it is both because for every, the kingdom of heaven is like kind of ethereal, conceptual things he was talking about. He also had, you know, if, uh, you know, someone needs your coat, give them your pants as well. I, that's not it. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, he's paraphrased <laughs> once again. Turn right. the other Ethereal. cheek. And, you know, he's given very practical uh, counsel and teaching alongside with his ethereal. This is what God is like. I think, and I think Westside, hopefully, um, is trying to do that as well. You know, and I've noticed it right or not. I've noticed but, that even in the life of Jesus, you know, you're talking about the disciples walking with him, it's, it's exceptional when Jesus gives them very specific instructions, even if they're practical when it comes to the disciples, like how often does it actually happen? He he says, okay, I want you to stay here and pray for a while, go into that town and get food and then come back. It's really an exception. The other commands are love your neighbor as yourself. It's weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. It's these really broad kind of things. And the rest of it is just walk with me, you know, and he very even rarely just says, all right, and we're going to go over here now. He just, they walk with him and that, that's, that's all that it is. And I wonder, too, how much when he's teaching, he, Jesus understands that he's not just speaking to his disciples, but he's speaking to them so that they will write this down. Mm-hmm. And even in church, I think sometimes it's not always just speaking to the the people in the seats. Hopefully, we're connecting with them. But as a preacher, I also want to make statements that help solidify uh, and not that I set culture at Westside, that's Pastor Steve's job, really. Um, but like even when I was running youth, you know, you say things. Maybe they're going over the head of a student sometimes, but I'm also setting culture here. I'm also making statements that say, this is who we are. This is how we're going to be. And that language is important, I think, even beyond just what mm. the person I'm talking to is understanding in the moment, yeah. you know? But, yeah, and and who you are, you know, is memorable too. Um, and that's... they. Some of the guys wrote down everything Jesus said, or I'm not exactly sure how the the writing, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, those guys that wrote down the things that are happening around surrounding Jesus. I'm not sure how that happened, but they walked with him. And so I think rules, rule following, and we, um, we bash on this sometimes in church and because we're aiming at relationship, but rule following can almost separate us from that personal relationship with Christ. Um, because we're like doing, I'm doing, 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 I'm doing all these things. And you forget that there's a person who is communicating that we're walking with every day. And he might want to, um, he's not going to, he's not going to tweak his word, but he might say it in a different way or a fresh way, or make you step out of your box in a different way inside of relationship where the rule following, 
um, can almost sometimes separate him yeah. from him, you know? Yeah. And, and that was such a big part of the concept of repentance for me in this message, uh, was saying, uh, Jesus, and I took your cue from a few weeks ago talking about John 14, where he says, I'm the way, but saying Jesus took the place of what the law was doing, which was trying to get right. us to God. And so we step from rules to relationship by going from the law to Jesus. Now he is the way to get to God. Mm-hmm. And that that opens up whole new possibilities for how we live because now we have a relationship that we're interacting with and not a book. I think know? the underrated piece of that is that it's actually more difficult to navigate the relationship. It's not just a list of rules, but you have to navigate the relationship, which involves feelings, it involves circumstances, it involves context, it involves interpretation of all these kind of things together as we walk together instead of, okay, well, I just got to wake up and I got to do this, 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 and this today. You know, your marriage isn't a list of rules. Your marriage is understanding context yeah. and feelings and all those things. And I think that's the, the, the difficult part, even as people that, you know, to go behind the message that communicate to people is, is a lot of times we're saying Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And the people are going, okay, so which way do I go? You need to figure that out for yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, and, and there's a religious side in all of us, I think, and especially religious people yeah. uh, that would rather have rules, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's just easier than I know how I measure up. And Jesus presents a different way. Right. It's tough. So yeah, it's uh, Jesus's response. I was thinking about this while you guys were saying that. Um, his response to Peter is like probably one of the most profound moments of uh, sort of repentance or restoration that I can think of. After Peter's denied him three times, and they're at the breakfast by the sea. Is this in the last like part John, of John? Yeah. 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 So. Um, but it, breakfast by the sea, and Jesus doesn't go over play by play all these things. Like, well, mm-hmm. at the first time the rooster crowed, you did this, yeah. and the second time, he just says, "Do you love me?" You know, yeah. and they have a very simple conversation. I think um, you don't, yeah, you just don't see Jesus pointing fingers. And I think a lot of people expect God to be like that when they come to Him, mm-hmm. um, and it's just not the case. You don't see, really see that in Scripture. Yeah. Um, and and going to that parable, the son is prepared to basically make account for where he's at and what he deserves and and the father basically ignores that. Yeah. And, and so we see this relational aspect of God that just says, "Listen, yeah, I know. I know it's been a mess. We're we're past that now. You're here with me and that changes everything." Yeah. We come with a list and he can we forget that he's a personal God that knows how to respond personally yeah. to us where we're at. He knows how to respond to Ben. He knows how to respond to Evan. He knows how to respond to me. Like people who are listening to this podcast, he knows how to respond to you and meet you at the point of your need, um, not with a condemning finger um, and a checklist of things. Okay, now you need to get this right. But like, do you love me? Walk with me. Spend time with me. And you'll learn the way. Yeah. You'll actually learn the way. Yeah, that's good. So for somebody out there, even today, like spend a moment with Jesus. You know, get get quiet in your heart, and if you if your life feels like a mess, and you're coming with your list, remember the response he has to Peter. Remember the father's response to the prodigal son, like open open arms. It's scandalous. It's grace, and you start walking in that acceptance and love, and that's what changes a heart and changes a life. And I think that's maybe the biggest takeaway that we can take from your message and from this podcast is that when we go to repent to Jesus, let's not overdo 
maybe the repentance. You know, maybe let's not be the prodigal son that runs back and is ready with his list of things that he's done wrong. And while the father's embracing him and then they're eating at the feast to sit and go, okay, now we've got a quiet moment. Look at my list. I had this ready, you know, and to continue to repent for the same thing that God has already given us, you know, grace for over and over and over again, so that we simply remain in a place in an area of repentance instead of continuing on to walk with Jesus. That's good. Uh, Well, we want to thank everybody who's listening today. Your continued support of this podcast means a lot. Um, next week, I'm actually going to be in East Africa. I think we're going to do some podcasting from over there that you'll hear nice. um, in a few weeks. But uh, Ben and maybe Casey, you'll be back here with Pastor Mike Alexander, <laughs> sure our executive pastor. Whatever works. Man. Uh, is Mike speaking this next He week? is. Yeah, I he's should probably to, know that. Talking about enemies in the Psalms, and uh, awesome. it should be a great message. So please come back next week. Check out our podcast after the message. 